Discovery Group is renowned for the fact that it eats its own food, metaphorically speaking. Combining wellness with behavior is more than just a clever business idea. It's at the core of everything that Discovery does, internally and externally. Zaid Margus, Tabojo Goodman, and Narissa Pariachi are pivotal figures in entrenching this unique culture amongst the employees of Discovery. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Road, and in this episode, I'm plumbing these three people-focused mavens for their secrets on how to build a strong culture and happy, vital employees within organizations of all sizes. Welcome to The Healthy Business Show, Narissa, Zaid, and Tabojo. I'm really excited to have you all in studio today. I want to start off with discovery and the work that you do within discovery, and I know that you have this famously driven internal culture, which is obviously very entrepreneurial. I mean, you know, Discovery as an entity is one of the most lauded and respected entrepreneurial success stories in South Africa's history. But I know that you also are extremely passionate internally about your own wellness and your own vitality as a culture. Can you talk a little bit into that and how have you fostered that? And I suppose your own roles within that famous culture. So I think our culture has been embedded by a core purpose to a large extent, which which you probably know is to make people healthier and enhance and protect their lives. I think what we've really strived to do is to make that an internal reality for our staff. And there's an authentic, genuine drive from senior executives to make sure that that is our staff's reality from a wellness perspective. I'm the person responsible for overseeing both the aspects of wellness and industrial relations at Discovery. And I've, of course, got two of my colleagues here who heads those two departments. And uh, Narissa is quite correct in that, uh, you know, it takes a lot of investment in understanding and in making sure that your employees are healthy in all respects, from an emotional point of view, a financial point of view, a legal sense. And that also, that course, then ties into the industrial relations side of business and that. And that is really, for, you know, from performance management to how managers communicate with employees, uh, what it is that they expect from employees, and the process or the integrity that is then followed through any challenges that you experience with employees. And that's where, you know, Teboho will kind of give a sense of how to guide managers along in that business. Sure. I mean, from my perspective and, and the sort of function that I perform in the company, uh, although it's legal in a sense because you're dealing with, uh, with a bit of labor law and employee, employer rights, etc. I think what stands out more for me at the um, organization I work for, it's that purpose. Okay. Uh, it's either you relate to it or you don't relate to it. That central cause, meaning that why of the organization. A hundred percent, hundred percent. And if it's something that's in you, it's easy to function in, in the organization because everything you do speaks to that. It's right. not something you switch on and off. You're constantly on because you relate to it. Sure. I certainly want to touch back upon that point, talking to the smaller business audience amongst the listeners. With Discovery in mind, you are now a huge organization within the South African context. How, over time, have you managed to foster it? Narissa, maybe you can talk to that, because surely that must be quite challenging as a company grows into this kind of sprawling behemoth that you are today. How do you retain that sort of sense of focus, drive, vision, and that energy that was so prevalent in the early days within so many individuals making up this team? So I think one of the things that we do 
well, one of the many things that we do well is that we keep the spirit of innovation alive at Discovery. We're very, very passionate about it uh, in every sector of our business. So whether that's in the life or the health or the insure business, and even from a wellness and a well-being perspective, we're very innovative around how we introduce the different business areas as well as internally for our staff. So I'm not sure if you know, but we run an annual, almost an innovation hub where we get staff to submit ideas around various different things. Uh, from a so well- it's a purely internal thing, right? That's a purely internal thing, correct. But the ideas that are submitted are really around business innovation. So either new business ideas or improving on existing processes and strategies, etc. So I think that's what we do really, really well to keep that culture of almost a startup still alive. Uh, we, we, we haven't at all taken our eye off the fact that we need to constantly be innovating in order to hold our market share and our position in the market. So that's very interesting. So you have all the, you have the opportunity once a year to contribute and submit ideas to what is that like a central platform uh, or is that a stage? I mean, how, how does, how practically does that work? Correct. So and also, we, sorry, just a quick uh, sub question. Are those submissions uh, anonymous or do you, do you put your name to them? No. So, so what happens is you, you can form teams with people who share a particular idea as an example. Um, so my husband, as an example, is a winner of the, of the competition. Okay. Uh, so it, the, it's called a, a did you adjudicate the winner? I did. Well. I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right, it's okay. We're going to report you after this, this show. <laughs> but inspiring, it's called inspiring excellence. Okay. Um, and what happens is you get together with a group of people, uh, where, who share a similar idea or are thinking along the same line. And you can choose from across the business. So someone in health, as an example, can choose someone in insure to join their team because they share a similar idea. And of course, we, we very much around the cross skilling in the business. So with this competition also encourages that. So we encourage people from different sectors of the business to get together so that we are able to bring in different perspectives and ideas. And what happens is you submit your ideas and then you go in through different stages of the program. And at the end, we have the CEO award winner. And then those ideas are actually implemented, right? Yes, so they they're are. actually brought into the company and deployed across the board, right? Great, cheers. Okay, that's amazing. I mean, that's a nice way of bringing the entire community within Discovery together to contribute and participate. So, so it's not necessarily that it's submitted once a year. So, I mean, anytime you have an idea, you can actually submit the idea. Okay. But when your idea gets into sort of like a competitive sort of phase, it, it almost is going to take you the entire year in which to refine it. So you are given the necessary assistance from all the levels of expertise. You are sometimes encouraged to go outside just to check on, on, on your understanding of a particular market space and then come back with that feedback and begin to design the product and that. Uh, you're also given the assistance of actuarial assistance in terms of running numbers and making sure, sure that it's going to be a feasible uh, you know, sort of, um, okay. so to validate the idea, to validate it. So it takes you sometimes, I mean, you need more time, but it almost takes you up to a period of about a year in which to kind of put forward a credible case. Sure. Either it is accepted by the business, it's introduced as a product of the business, or it is something that's used as a support of the business. So it does find its place in business. It doesn't matter how many ideas are, are being put through. Got it. 
And just from a, from a well-being perspective, so, you know, in as much as it, it produces fantastic ideas, it also creates a sense of belonging for our employees. So there's a great hype around inspiring excellence every year. We host a massive uh, event where Adrian announces the winners, but in the build-up to that, it creates a sense of belonging, creates a sense of employees are, are valuable, their ideas are valuable, and contributes to the well-being of those employees because they understand that this is a place where we care about your opinion and we know that you have great ideas and we want you to share that with the organization. So those kinds of programs, whilst it may not be a direct employee well-being program as an example, uh, it creates a sense of engagement, which is critical, particularly for small business owners, uh, to understand that their employees are able to contribute uh, and they need to also listen and open up platforms for employees to have an opportunity to make a contribution. Sure. And I mean, you spoke about innovation in Tabojo in terms of being able to really foster that spirit of innovation. How much attention do you have on the education around innovation and all the various themes within, you know, for the fourth industrial revolution for IR, you know, artificial intelligence and so on? I guess that must be quite top of mind with all the ideas that are submitted, right? No, 100%. I think if I can just leverage off what Nerissa was saying is that this culture of innovation happens at any uh, forum. I was in a leadership program, and one of the groups in, in our program came up with an idea that fell into that uh, okay. that inspiring excellence. So it's in that culture. It's in everything that we do. But just from my perspective also, uh, i just like to highlight the, the importance of leadership in steering that culture okay. because the leaders must set the tone. Okay. And everybody must follow suit. So that's really important. So it's a very much a top-down thing. The culture is set from the leadership, right? So they're really embodying that spirit of innovation. No, 100%. And, uh, and that would be, I suppose, Adrian and Barry and your executive team and so on, right? And you guys, I guess. No, no, everybody. And that's why I said if it's something you relate to, it's something you're going to live. So from that leadership perspective, I think it's absolutely critical. Okay. I mean, you'll note that one of our values is innovation optimism. Innovation is part of who we are. We've got to buy fully into the company's values, and you don't actually struggle against them because these are the things that you live out on a day-to-day basis. So when you get into the organization, when they talk about discovery values, you feel like you're part of it. You feel like you've joined the right company, and it just feels like the right place to be. I think an incredibly important message you know, that comes out of the opportunity to innovate is that it, it includes it doesn't exclude individuals. And, and, and the idea is that everybody in the organization is probably sitting on an explosive idea because, you know, with the executives having to run other aspects of the business, they're not at the forefront of actually having to understand, you know, the dynamics and the changes within an organization and see the opportunities that come out of that. So it then makes logical sense that you then ask it of the employees and say, well, tell sure. us. Perhaps we're doing things and we could do it differently. What do you believe we ought to be doing? That's great. And that's where I love the idea that. comes from. And I think, I mean, that's a huge challenge that many big companies face is that they don't know what they know. So imagine if the company knows what the company knows, you know, you can really start to uh, embrace the future. And I, I love that phrase. It's really refreshing, innovation, optimism, which kind of goes against this prevailing theme that I, I believe is really threaded into corporate culture of fear of change and the the amazing scope and velocity of change that is occurring right now across the globe and and within all different sectors of business right you know there's a lot of people who are scared of their jobs over the next you know 
five, 10, 20 years where you're getting all these scary stats of, you know, 80% of jobs will not exist by 2050 and, and, you know, that sort of thing. How would you suggest, you know, even within the, the small to medium sized companies of, you know, 10, 20, 100, 200 employees, what can a business do to confront those fears and allay those fears? I mean, if you think about it in the South African context, I mean, our CEO, if you've listened to some of the things that he said, Adrian, he'll indicate to you that it's actually quite the opposite of what you believe it to be. So if you believe, if you take South Africa as a context, it's taken a step backwards. You're saying it's actually from a statistical point of view, it's actually incorrect. Everything points that we are moving in the right direction and that there are more opportunities now than have ever been before. So it's a place you want to be in. It's a place where innovation will serve us well. We've demonstrated it as a South African business, you know, going into different parts of the world where they haven't even thought about things that we're kind of introducing to them now. So he genuinely believes that there's a lot coming out of this space. But for the topic of robotics and artificial sort of intelligence, you know, the idea is that people are fearful that, you know, robotics are going to be put in place and it's going to be taking jobs. But it's actually, in fact, not the truth. What it's going to do, it's going to get people to repurpose. And the idea There's is going to be different roles. Different roles. Sure. And so the world of work will, in essence, be different. You know, so no longer are you going to deal with jobs per se. So my job has got 10 different functions to it. I'm now going to be performing one of those roles out of 10 different functions or two of them. And what I probably will be doing is be selling them to many or other organizations other than Chester Discovery. Of course, you'll find ways of dealing with things like conflicts of interest and in that. But the reality is that it's a skill set that you'll be able to demonstrate over multiple organizations as opposed to just one. So we will coexist with artificial intelligence. And it's important that we understand that and we accept that it's going to happen. We've just got to think about how it is that we're going to be doing things differently. If I can just add on to that, I think it's about embracing it and the messaging and the positioning. When you say 80% of the jobs are going to be lost, I think we should say as we know them. Because when we say 80% of the jobs are going to be lost, it's got a negative uh, connotation. Yeah, when we say like you picture all these people with CVs in their hands no, and absolutely. You know, wandering the streets. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just that the, the way we, we know jobs and see them today is going to look different. And that speaks to education, right? And I know in terms of the way we embrace and, and view education is changing. My day job is running a company called Heavy Chef, and we're trying to turn learning into a lifestyle, which is really, it's about looking at education, not as a milestone, but as something that's ongoing. It's a lifestyle. It's something that you really need to foster on a day-to-day basis. I mean, do you think people are now starting to change the way they view being educated and keeping in touch and, and, and on top of current trends and future trends and so on? I think the question that I would typically ask to that is, are we changing with the times? I mean, speak of my age group, I don't want to sound old, but people in my age group, the typical understanding is you go to school, you get an education. Yeah, like a day over 25, <laughs> come on, it's a book. <laughs> no, 100%. So, um, uh, like I said, you go to school, you get a qualification, uh, you get a job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but we need to accept that times are changing and we need to change with those. Uh, I've got a niece who's 21 and... My sister's struggling to get her to go to varsity <laughs> because she doesn't believe. She's like, why? Why must a, I do a, this? Exactly, yeah, sure. exactly. Because you're going to have a set curricula, you're going to have set modules, etc. And the question she's asking is, will those get me ready 
for how the world is going to look. Uh, for sure. Because what you learn in first year is going to be redundant by the time you hit third year or fourth year. No, know, 100%. So. And if you look at the speed of change currently, I think you become redundant in that same year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, 100%. I agree with you. And I think I want to just segue back into the structure and getting involved in a small business setup and looking at startups. And we've spoken about Discovery is obviously a huge company, but you've retained and fostered the same spirit and culture that you had in the early days when there was only a handful of people, Adrian and Barry and the, the early crew. If you look at the new discoveries of today, the new upstarts, the innovators, the disruptors, and that, that are getting involved in the entrepreneurial sector, how important is it to create that culture from the start? And I'm, I'm actually asking from my own perspective, because I have a new startup now, which is, as I mentioned, Heavy Chef. We've just breached 10 employees and I'm looking at how we interact with each other. And Narissa, maybe you can talk into creating that structure right from the start. Is it important if yes, which I'm assuming you're going to say yes, how would you then deploy that? Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important. I think that's the obvious answer. I think it speaks to the existence of why your business is in business in the first place. And, and, the purpose. and it, what is your purpose? And, you know, if you look at our purpose at Discovery as an example, it cuts across every segment of our business. Now, you know, we've just launched bank and sure. I don't think anybody thought it was possible for us to talk about banking and finances and making people healthy at the same time. But our core purpose is woven even into our banking strategy. And that shows you how pervasive it is across our organization. Can you define that purpose? Making people healthier and enhancing and protecting their lives. So in every facet of their lives. So whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, as an employee in terms of your well-being, that of your family, etc. Now we offer business solutions as well, such as business insurance or healthy workplaces, etc. That is pervasive across our organization. And I think that is incredibly, incredibly important, not just for the success of your business, but it extends to the kind of people that you recruit or that you attract. So if the people are aligned to the purpose of your business, you are going to attract the right kind of people who can identify with your values, with your culture, etc. So I think it's incredibly important. So I guess what's Wonderful about what you guys have done. And when I say you guys, I mean the three of you, but also in terms of Adrian and Barry and right from the start, creating a central purpose that is truly scalable and that has endured over time to be relevant from having 10 people to 10,000 people that it, you know, it still resonates with every single individual within your team. I guess then taking my own business, we've got 10 people now. Looking at that central purpose and the why, I suppose in Simon Sinek's wonderful talk, he talks about what is the why of your business? You know, first why, then what? How do you establish that? What is the process that you would take? I mean, is it a case of it needs to be a personal thing to the founder or does it need to be a democratic thing? I mean, can you speak into a little bit of that in terms of the process of creating that central purpose i mean it starts off with the founder right but the idea is that whatever it is that you decide on is going to be acceptable to you know the community in which you live in and 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 then when you look at it even further you're going to say well these are common sort of things that we all kind of aspire to and i think added with that you know you've got to think about the values that your company stands for i think it's incredibly important that you do think up you know what those values are going to look like now the reality is that they might be quite close to every other company's values in it. But I think if you can stick to that, that then becomes your true north. 
You know, it's always a direction that you'll be heading in. You know that when you make decisions, it is consistent with the decisions, sometimes even when it hurts you. In the early days of discovery, you know that there were many stumbling blocks before we got to this point. But the point is that, you know, that positivity that, that it kept oozing out of the organization continued to kind of keep us on this journey, knowing that whatever the challenges are, we'll find a way around it. So I think it's important that you start off with that because when those times become challenging, you know that that true not that you can look to in, in, in as far as your values are concerned and also, of course, your company's purpose. And the idea is, you know, something that Narissa said earlier is that you've got to get something that people are kind of wanting to be part of. Now, we know with the millennial, particularly <laughs> they want to make a difference the in the world. millennial. millennial yes. yes. <laughs> and the reality that is what your workforce is going to be consisting of. You know, whether it's going to happen immediately, but we know that over a period of time it's generally going to happen. So you've got to sit in an environment that is also fit for purpose. You know, they've got to come in and they've got to feel like it's part of their home too. And they've got to feel like it's a place where they belong and a place where they can make a difference, continue to make a difference in most instances. I mean, I love what you're saying there. It has to align to your values. If you're creating that why that is going to scale over time, it needs to be authentic to the founder. It needs to have the values of the community that you serve. And I suppose it needs to resonate with the challenges that they face and to be able to speak into the solution that you're offering and the promise that you're making to them. I suppose then creating that culture from the outset, Taboche, if we look at a more practical element of that in terms of some kind of a program, and I know obviously that Discovery is offering this now, but let's talk about that as some sort of an assistance program that you could then create for Employees, What are the practical steps that as a small business you can do and talk to some of the benefits and the, the reasoning behind creating that structure? Can I palm that off to <laughs> We can. Marissa, <laughs> okay, yeah. okay, so, so, you know, as a new business startup, it's difficult to manage the, the systems, the processes, the people, etc. And we find at Discovery that it's best to leave certain things to the experts, you know, and sometimes as a small business, it's maybe a good idea to leave the certain things to the experts. One of that is perhaps the well-being of your employees. It's just such a specific discipline. Of course, there are many things that an employer can do, little things to create and embed a culture of wellness. But the more difficult things, you know, at the moment, one of the big topics is around mental health and mental well-being. We like, we prefer to call it emotional well-being because it's more encompassing, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, it's less stigmatizing rather than mental health. So emotional well-being, and it's just so broad. Uh, and it's best to leave those things to experts. You know, these are rather inexpensive opportunities for employers to show their employees that they are genuinely concerned for them firstly and foremost as individuals and people uh, whether that's a brother, sister a partner, a boyfriend, a girlfriend or even a parent, you know, I mean whatever it is, is that person's current stage and to be able to uh, direct your employees, to be able to access the kind of assistance and support that they need. So an ideal employee assistance program would entail physical well-being, emotional well-being financial well-being and legal well-being because all of those things feed into the overall holistic well-being of an individual and very, very much so speaks to the emotional well-being uh, as a whole, which we know many people are starting to struggle with. And it's perhaps the rapid pace of change in the work environment, the levels of stress, the amount of uh, technological advancements, the fear of job security, etc. And that really is impacting on people. And so an employee assistance program ought to be able to tap into those different pillars of well-being and to provide support. 
freeing up the the business owner or the manager of this of a startup then to focus on other things whilst making sure that their employees show up for work and are present and are able to engage productively and contribute to that workplace whilst knowing that they're receiving the support and guidance that they need in other spheres of their lives. Gotcha. So I'm going to be frank with you and just speak from my own personal experience. I came from uh, my previous business where I grew a digital marketing agency, employed and contracted over a hundred people within the organization and operating across various countries in Africa and, and abroad. And the last thing on my mind was an employee <laughs> assistance program. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like as an entrepreneur and you're growing and you kind of, you know, it's all about sales and maintaining growth and trying to ensure that your cash flow is relatively safe and secure. You know, there's a lot of pressure on the founder and his team or her team to be able to maintain that growth. And that feels almost like an unnecessary thing. It did to me. I, I mean, I, I remember thinking cheapers, maybe we should look after the employee benefits and so on a lot more. But the reality was, and I know this to be true of a lot of CEOs and founders that you only kind of do that after 10 years, you know, because the first decade is all about that growth. So what do you think the consequence of, uh, I mean, I, I have some anecdotes, which I'm not going to talk about now, which, you know, but I'll, maybe Zaid, if we can talk to the impact of not having that process in place well i mean the the logical reality about that is that that business is going to grow in the way that it grows but it's not going to grow to sort of the optimal sort of business that you're looking for so if you think about it if you've got a hundred people working for you had you employed you know these wellness sort of programs or strategies within your organization first of all you maybe would have doubled on the amount of employees that you had over that period of time because they see the value in working for you. But at the same time, you're getting 10 times more out of an employee. You talk about having people in different parts of the world as an example, but there's still life that happens in the context of their home and that, you know, and how are things continuing in that way? So an example, one of the aspects of the programs is from the emotional well-being point of view, your domestic servants step into that service and that. You know, which is incredibly important because they also come with their own stresses, you know, to the home. So I've got to support you from the point of you being at home to the point of you being in the work and that. So it makes absolute sense. And I can understand why it is because it just seems like there's so much else to do. There's so much. There's so much activity and your time is limited and your attention is limited and you, you're continually bringing on more people. And then it, it just feels so hard to be able to, it's not just the assistance program, but it's all the other various (laughs) administrative functions. And and I know Narissa wants to add into that, but if I can just say also, I think something that's incredibly important about that is that whoever it is that you are involved in, in building your business, you want to carry those people along uh-huh. you know that loyalty and that so if you're keeping them there for the years that you need to keep mm-hmm. them there you know preventing that burnout from happening is that you're going to have a so much strong organization which is which is typically what discovery has done over the years mm-hmm. they've got people in that organization that have been here i myself have been there 21 years so i can tell you that they've kept me you there didn't look that old, so. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys all look so young you're a good, a good yeah, advert yeah. for discovery's wellness yes. program so so they've kept me there for 21 years uh, you know, I've never felt that, you know, I needed to leave the organization and could find this elsewhere because this is what they've done for me. Okay. And in so doing, they've got this loyalty out of mm. me. So I can tell you that 
I've got an ownership mentality that when I run a particular aspect of that business, I run it like it is mine. So almost an entrepreneurial, yes. an entrepreneurial cultural, and always understanding attitude. the values and always understanding that people are to be treated with integrity and respect. You know, first and foremost, before anything else and that. And I think if you carry that in your organization, and it comes through in the wellness program. And I suppose the real impact is losing people who you've invested time Mm -hmm. and effort and energy and training and inducing them into these these structures and systems that you're growing over time and, and you're expecting them to contribute to that growth and evolution. And it has an enormous impact and not just a financial impact. It's also an emotional and cultural impact when people leave and you have one or two guys ducking out of the system and you've got to spend all that energy to try and find replacements. That, I suppose, when you have you know yourself 21 years, there's an ancillary benefit to that, to the organization as well from a cultural aspect. I want to just touch upon something that was mentioned earlier. I believe psychology today, the publication, international publication calls anxiety a global pandemic. And I know, I mean, again, you know, anecdotally, my, my previous business, digital industry, it's extremely stressful, extremely fast growing, lots of pressures in terms of innovation and change and working with a diverse array of various companies. There was an enormous amount of anxiety that was prevalent within the organization, within my organization. So a lot of my time as CEO was really talking into those challenges and and really guiding and mentoring people who are themselves going through really, really tough times. And I think we underestimate. It almost feels like we don't talk enough about mental health, right? I mean, I think that it's become so prevalent now. The first question is, why is this thing of mental health, burnout, depression, anxiety, you know, all the various ailments that are aligned to it. Uh, why do you believe that it's suddenly spiked so dramatically to make uh, it this global pandemic? I think the short answer is connectivity. So we're always connected. We're always switched on. Mm-hmm. People never get an opportunity to fully switch off and remove themselves from not just work, but from everything else that's going on. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, social media has had a huge role to play sure. in the, in the high rates of depression, anxiety, uh, mental health issues, etc. It causes people to live in an altered reality, which causes us to introspect on just how happy we are, which reinforces the fact that we might be stressed or unhappy or otherwise very busy in life. But I think the biggest issue is that people are not getting an opportunity to switch off. And I think as a small business owner, something that founders can focus on is allowing people time off work uh, to rest, giving them space, encouraging a sense of personal space and personal time. And I think that what we often do is we encroach on people's times because we've either got laptops or iPads or cell phones that we get emails on. I mean, as an example, for me, someone will try and call me on my landline. Then they will try and email me, uh, WhatsApp me, and then phone on my cell phone. And if I don't respond to any of those, they've now resorted. Well, you know, that's the next step, I guess. But now they've resorted to IMing me because we have that functionality. And trust me, if I wasn't available through any of those other mediums, I'm still not available. Chances are I'm consulting them in a meeting. What happens is that there's so much of pressure that I find myself then picking up my cell phone. I'm in a conversation and it's a delicate conversation about someone's health or well-being. And I want to be present. I want to be engaged and I want to connect with that individual. But there's someone else that's not trying to 
connect with me. So I pick up my cell phone and I go, in a meeting, is it urgent? You know, or can you message me so rather? So you're distracted yourself. Absolutely, as you're a distracted. And you know as an individual yeah. that you're not always giving a hundred percent of yourself. So you're done with your task, but you there's always this anxiety around did I do enough? Can I do more? And I think that is a huge problem. So as a small business owner, I think it's important to be aware of that. However, there are certain demands with startups because you've got a limited number of people, you've got limited capacity, you've got limited financial response and high uh, resources. Expectations. Yes, and then you've got to stretch that. But you know, I want to circle back also to the earlier question that we spoke about, and it was to the same point. When founders have different priorities in terms of when they start off their business, so they want to grow their business in the first 10 years, it comes back to what is your values? What do you believe is important for the success of your business? And if your people truly are an asset, as we say at Discovery, one of our other values at Discovery is uh, people are our greatest asset and we believe in liberating the best in our people. And so those things are fundamental. If you or your organization is underpinned by these values, you keep reflecting back on them. So I understand that, you know, with this, with startups, you have to be able to stretch yourself as well as your employees to get maximum output. But at the end of the day, I think you also need to focus on what is given back to those individuals and what value comes out of it for them. Said. Also, the anxiety is real. That emotional well-being is something that needs to be addressed within your organization. And so there's a recognition that needs to happen there has around to be. it. Because it I think that's culture. a big thing. It almost feels as if in South Africa, the perception of anxiety is a bit skewed. It feels like weakness yes, to, absolutely. to the majority of our... And particularly in the corporate yes. sector, because you are measured on your output, how available you are, how quickly you respond to emails, etc. And if you're anxious, it's the equivalent of being weak. And mm. it's got the consequence of being exclusive, you know. So what it will almost certainly do is almost paint this picture that perhaps you're not ready mm. to kind of take that step up because of the challenges that you face. The important thing is to recognize and the, the next important thing is how do you get people to disclose it? Mm -hmm. So you've also got to combine programs and you've got to bring about a sense of awareness within your organization and, and allow for the opportunity for people to bring that forward so that you are able to give them that assistance, which without you're going to deal with the consequence of it at some point or the other. Look, the reality is, I suppose, it is a weakness, but it needs to be recognized also as a very common and, I, I suppose, not an easily treated, but it's something well that it can be managed mm -hmm. in terms of an affliction that many, many, Absolutely. many people and individuals within our society are struggling with and suffering in silence, right? So, I like And to understand that it also manifests in different ways. So yeah. people also manifest in different ways in the workplace. So yes. some, in some instances, you might have... Uh, poor performance issues, sure. misconduct such as absence from work without uh, leave or abandoning the workstation, etc., etc. So use of narcotics. Use of narcotics or substance abuse sure. is yeah. an yeah. issue as well. Yeah. People try to self-medicate. And I think you're absolutely right, Fred. It's about cultivating a culture where people are comfortable to say, I'm struggling with this. And it's important for the founder to start off that culture, mm. to say that mm. there is a dialogue. We welcome a dialogue and a conversation around your well-being, your emotional well-being. Mm. Um, and I think it's incredibly important that we do that. It's very difficult. I mean, the issues around emotional well-being are highly stigmatized. Mm. We battle with that even at Discovery. And mm. we encourage...
encourage a sense of openness. Mm. We have programs available, etc. But I think we are socialized to believe that having any kind of emotional health issues means that you're weak, that you're incapable, that mm. you're not ready, like say it said, you know, in an organization where we thrive on being first to market, being highly driven, being a high productivity. Yeah, which it's most startups correct. are really trying to foster about. that uh, that culture as well, right? So it's really hard, a I guess, of urgency. within that culture of urgency to disclose that you're suddenly starting to feel these strange, unusual feelings which which don't appear normal mm-hmm. and that could be ostracized and shunned and, and really cause you to be excluded as an individual within a team, right? I guess that extends to the founders. I know personally a lot of founders and leaders within organizations uh, and particularly startups who are, who are really struggling with the pressures of this intense lifestyle of being an entrepreneur. Mm. And I, I'm sure you guys can speak a bit more accurately into the statistics around it. But burnout is a real thing, right? I mean, we talk about hustle porn and the fact that you measure yourself on how hard you've worked over the course mm. of a week. You know, is it 60 hours? Is it 70 hours? Is it 100 yeah. hours? You know, Elon yeah. Musk famously talks about his <laughs> personal schedule. What do you think about that, Taboka, if you can talk to this culture of just pushing yourself to the limit? Yeah, I think it's even harder if you're starting a small business because of all those pressures uh, that you can't afford to get it wrong. Here's yet another added responsibility, not only to yourself, but the people that are going to help you grow this business because you need them to drive that goal and to reach those achievements. You also need support. And that's why it's important to get that sort of guidance because typically you're, you're a specialist in what you do. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're starting up these agencies. That's your speciality. Mm-hmm. Your speciality is not on the well-being of people, etc. And that's why you'll need that sort of support mm-hmm. in getting that. And just to go back to your point on this phenomena of mental stress, it's across the board. I'm an avid sports fan. Uh, And a lot of sports people struggle with it. So it's across the board. And again, that stigma is if you look at it as a sportsman, there's this macho thing attached to it. So you don't want to be in a dressing room and you're the guy struggling with mental problems. Again, coming back to the business aspect of it is that it's imperative for the leader to set the tone to create that sort of environment where people can come and speak up on these sorts of things and know that it's okay. It's not going to counter or hinder your progression within that organization. Do you think it's changing? You're starting to see high profile individuals speak openly about it you know also in entertainment we saw the other day trevor noah mm-hmm. uh, speak about his own battles with anxiety and depression and the fact that that is very prevalent within his circle of influence mm. i mean it's certainly changing internationally right mm. i mean there's more mm. awareness around it but do you think it's happening in south africa i believe it is i believe it is because we're speaking about it think about it a few years back it's not something we ever mentioned so the fact that we're talking about it says we're, we're, we're making strides. And sure. once the question comes up, the next step is to get an answer. Sure. Uh, so the fact that we're speaking about it to me says that we're headed in the right direction. Uh, because Good. once we're dealing with that stigma around it, and it's normal, it happens to the best of us at any time. Mm. So I think for people starting up business, it's incredibly important for you to be aware of it and to start factoring that into how you're going to grow the business because as your workforce starts to struggle, the one thing that's stressing you is making this business a success is is impacted negatively. Sure. I want to talk about the structure of the workforce and, and particularly with relation to diversity. 
I remember again speaking about my old industry, the digital industry. You know, we really struggled with diversity uh, within that industry, particularly racial diversity, but also uh, gender diversity and cultural diversity. How important disability. And disability, exactly. I mean, I think that's a huge question now that's coming to the fore. How important is it to have a, well, let, let me put it this way. Is it important to have a diverse team and why? So I think that's exactly where the conversation needs to start is how important is diversity to your organization or the business that you're building and why is it important? And now the obvious answers are obviously that you are able to bring in different skill sets. Uh, you're bringing in different perspectives. You're bringing in different ideas, experiences, etc. which means that as a business, you are able to cater for different market shares that also share different perspectives, ideas, cultures, etc. Of course, it's incredibly important also to understand that the communities in which we operate must benefit in some way from the business that we particularly are, in South Africa particularly right because we have a, a absolutely important part to play in the development of our country in the development of our societies as with discovery one of our important aims as a business is to ensure that we're impactful and we are force for social good within the communities that we live work and operate and so i think when you are authentic and genuine around your diversity and inclusion strategies uh, you see that play out in the workplace, but then you see that play out in your products, goods and services as well. Uh, and that directly benefits you as an employer, you as a startup, you as a business. And the important thing is not just to talk about diversity. It's about diversity and inclusion. So it's one thing to attract and recruit people from diverse backgrounds, whether that's in terms of age, whether that's in terms of gender, race, ethnicity, and physical ability or disability. But it's also important to focus on making sure that those people are included and integrated as part of the workforce, that they're given opportunities for development, for promotion, that they're able to contribute equally, etc. You know, it's one thing to say that we employ people with disabilities. It's another thing to make sure that you actually put an investment behind that and say that we are willing to reasonably accommodate people. We are willing to ensure that these people are given opportunities for skills development. It's not just about diversity. It's about how you include those people who are different and diverse to what would be a typical uh, situation. It's also been proven that the most successful companies in the world are diverse companies yeah. where the diversity does exist, but I don't think it stops there. You know, once people are introduced into your organization, you know, you continuously need to kind of knock at the question of diversity and try to establish exactly what it is because there are things like unconscious biases that happen within organizations. So you may have a workforce that is representative, but you may be doing things in your business that is excluding some of these people from it. And those are things that you kind of need to look into and, and to kind of be on top of it all the time and test for it and see where it is that you could be sharpening up in certain aspects of how you conduct business. And where it is that your business is lagging, because if you leave it for too long, the problem becomes so much more difficult to kind of deal with. If you look at Discovery as a company and that, if we now have to get into dealing with the challenges of unconscious biasness within the organization, it's so much more of a challenge because we 11,000 employees strong. Mm. But whereas if you 10 employees, you begin to set the tone for that, and that becomes part of your values. It becomes part of the way that you conduct business. And everybody that comes into that kind of adopts it. So you're either going to accept it 
or you're going to believe that it's something that you can't accept. And then as an organization, you've also got to take the brave step of saying, well, you're the sort of individual that we could do without, which, uh, you know, a company like Discover, we get a fantastic individuals join the company over years in terms of what they're able to give off over skill in it. But when we're not fitting into the culture of the organization, the organization was more than happy to let those individuals leave in it. So that's, I guess, really important. It's a beautiful juxtaposition. You've got the central culture, which aligns everybody, but a diverse array of individuals that contributes to that culture. And I suppose what I'm hearing from you is that there is the gift of perspective that you get from all of these diverse individuals. And I suppose the adverse of that would be this homogenous culture of everybody thinking the same, saying yes to the same ideas, and effectively not really understanding what's going on in the Outside world, and as you know, I suppose it's difficult to read the label from inside the bottle. If you have this outside, diverse, external perspective, it just makes for a stronger culture. I want to wrap it up with a, a question to all of you. If I can ask for one leave behind in terms of practical tips that we could provide for our listenership. What's the next step that they can take in deploying a strategy that would foster a, a stronger culture, no matter how big their organization is? In my first sense would be that, you know, considering that it's a critical aspect of the way forward for your organization, they perhaps need to look at other organizations and, and, and see where it is that they can get that help from. The idea behind employee wellness programs is the fact that it doesn't have to be sold as a complete solution to some of your challenges. You can buy them in buckets. Okay. You can decide what is important for your organization, what it is that you at least want to start off with. And there are things like employee benefits in it. You know, if you're going to get people working for you, then you actually have to consider getting something like a pension or a provident for them. And the reality is that, you know, if I spend that many years working for you, I want to see something at the end of it. And, and the reality is that, you know, we all work at some point toward the retirement in it. And so, the earlier we get people to understand it, and particularly in the startup, and that is that if you can get people to take that level of accountability and responsibility, you know, for where it is that they're going to, you've got to do it in consideration of all your employees. It's got to be important to all of your employees. And just all of these benefits that come out of that, investigate it, see what it is that you, where you can cut good deals, because it's typically a negotiation when you're going as an organization, and sometimes you can get it at good rates. So I would say, you know, spend a lot of time researching this and see what it is that you can introduce into your organization because it's going to go a long way to keeping people, I don't want to say, uh, loyal to your organization, engaged. but really engaged in your organization yeah. and really believing that it's a place for them. Sure, because you're looking out for them, right? That's right, yes. Okay, gotcha. And I guess the we've spoken about the adverse. If you don't look after your people, they're going to leave, they're and the impact that that has is inordinate, right? And by yeah. the way, we are allowed to push discovery <laughs> so we can invite i mean seeing as this is the discovery healthy business show we can say go to the discovery site and have a look at this the employee assistance program right it's actually that you, discovery healthy company okay discovery, discovery healthy, healthy discovery company healthy. all right yeah. so there, there's definitely a, a very real solution that uh, discovery does supply and i mean i guess also nurissa touching back to what you were saying in terms of the values and mm -hmm. identifying them right 
that's what I would like to say. In closing, I think uh, any founder needs to step back and say, what is it I want to achieve? What impact do I want to have? What legacy would I like to leave behind? And, you know, the likes of Adrian and Barry and John and those guys that started up Discovery were not just mavericks. They were visionaries. They wanted to make an impact on not just South Africa, but the world. They wanted to make people healthier. And that's a noble, noble cause. You know, step back, ask yourself, what is it you want to achieve? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? How are you going to impact society? Set your goals, your vision, your purpose, and understand that it's not something to put up on a wall to say that, well, tick box. That's what I was told at business school. Have a vision, have a purpose, have some values, mm. but design values that you are prepared to commit yourself and your business to. I think for me, that's a starting point. So creating a central vision that's actually, it's timeless, I guess. It it's is sustainable time. over Absolutely. time, right? And, and, and it translates into every aspect of your business. So if you look employee well-being, it would factor into the business as a whole, but it's not necessarily the first thing you think about when you want to start a business. However, our culture and our values are so well embedded across the organization, it even influences our well-being strategies. So I think that's what I would say to any uh, entrepreneur looking to start up a new business. Step back and ask yourself, what does it want to impact? Uh, which community? How far-reaching? And what is your vision for this business? And you know, we say colloquially you've got to have a vision, but what is your vision? There's a difference, you know. It's uh, got to be authentic. It's, it's got a to meaningful. Be, it's got to be meaningful. Yeah. It's got to be authentic, yes. And it's got to be something that you know you would want to put your name to at the end of it. And looking at your plans, drafting your plans, you know, kind of putting down this vision, make it part of that. You know, let it be the constant so reminder. writing it down, making it Writing it down. Yeah. So as much as you want to achieve profits, make sure that you also want to achieve the wellness for your employees and make sure that it's it's both sort of challenges that you can achieve. Yeah. Sure. What Zay is saying is so important. What we have at Discovery is called a shared value a business model and that means that we don't just create value for the shareholders and the executives but we create value for our clients, for the community, for society, for our employees. Everybody benefits from what we're doing. Mm. Uh, society as a whole at large benefits and that's just so important. So it's about having a vision that ensures that you're able to achieve what you want to as a business, but that you take your employees and the communities in which you live, work and operate along on that journey. Tabocha? My parting shot would be just to get guidance if you're starting up a business, because uh, I'm sure you've picked up from the conversation that there's many moving parts. Uh, and if you're coming in as an expert in that particular discipline or in the business that you're trying to start, there's other variables around you which you're not aware of. And like you said, what you, you don't know what you don't know. Uh, so I'd say get a lot of advice. We didn't speak about the labor law aspect of it, but get guidance on that. Get guidance on mm -hmm. your contracts. Get sure. guidance on how you manage situations in a workplace because as you're moving forward, things happen and are you equipped for them? Uh, the wellness programs we're talking about, the wellness of employees. Uh, and as a person starting a business, factor that in and get guidance. I mean, there's many established organizations. There's many people that have started businesses. Spend time with them. Get to understand what they did wrong, what they did correctly, and factor it in uh, as you move forward. Amazing. Narissa, Zaid, Tabocho, thank you so much for your contribution to the Healthy Business Show. And congratulations on this vibrant, dynamic, innovative culture that you've created within Discovery. And long may it continue. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media. Tag at discovery underscore essay. Use the hashtag DSY healthy business and please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Whether it's Apple, Spotify or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more episodes on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.